So if you have a Bible, grab it. Uh, we are in a series on the Gospel of Matthew. We are in week number 120. Let's go. Let's go. We're getting there, folks. We're getting there. Matthew chapter 26. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there's some on the table. Our gift to you. You can download an app on your phone, follow along there. Verses will be on the screen. Uh, they'll be all over the place. Uh, but as you hold this in your hand, I want you to think about something, or if you have your phone or whatever you're, whatever you're reading on, I want you to think about something with me for a second. This here, what we are holding... Uh, is the Bible, of course, but it is also one of the ways that we talk about it here at West Village is this is the story of God. Now, not like a fictional story, but it is the story by which God is revealing to uh, his people. That's, that's all of us, right? We're, some, some, are, some are in his family, some are not yet in his family, but we are the people that God made in his image and likeness. He's revealing to us who he is, what he's like, how good he is, what his grace is like. And this is the unfolding story of God's redemptive work amongst his people. But not only that, within this story, as you will see today, and as we have been seeing as we've been going through the Gospel of Matthew, is there are stories of people in this story. So God has chosen in his providence, in his grace, to work through human beings, you and me, to unfold his plan to tell everybody about how good he is. And so what we have in here as we come to the scriptures is often we will read stories about people. And our proclivity can be to take those people and elevate them up on a pedestal and think that somehow these people are heroes, heroes of the faith. These are people that we should be emulating and be uh, living our lives in light of. And there's a little bit of truth to that. There are definitely stories uh, within the scriptures, where we see that people are actually good examples for us, where they use godly wisdom or they use godly courage to fulfill the things that God's put in front of them. But at the end of the day, what we see as we look at the story of God is the people that God chooses to use every single time, and I think there's a consistent theme here, there's a denominator that probably runs consistently throughout every single person, they are broken, they are flawed. They are insufficient in some way, shape, or form. And yet, by God's grace, he chooses to use them. So even the stories about the people at the end of the day are still stories about God and his goodness. And today is going to be no different. As you've already heard the text, we are going to look specifically at one man's story, one of Jesus' closest followers. So if you have a Bible, Matthew 26, uh, we are going to pick up in verse 69. We're going to bounce around to a few different passages of Scripture this morning, but let's get to work. Here we go, verse 69. This is what Matthew records for us. Now, Peter, he's going to be our main character this morning. Peter was sitting out in the courtyard. So let me just stop here for a second, kind of set up the context, because that's really helpful in terms of us understanding everything that's going on. So as we've been going through the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew's recording roughly three and a half years of the life of Jesus. He takes the first 19 plus chapters, like right up to chapter 20, to basically unfold most of Jesus' life. But then from 20 to 28, he slows down. He, he kind of hits the slow motion button, and we kind of zoom in on specifically the last week of the life of Jesus. So that's where we're, we are. We're in the middle of this last week of the life of Jesus where he's going to the cross. And so what's been happening here over the last number of weeks as we've been teaching, we've really just been in the, like a, a, about a 14-hour period. So we had the Last Supper. We had Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, we had Jesus being arrested after praying. Last week, if you were here, 
Jesus was arrested, and then he was taken to the high priest Caiaphas's house where he was placed on trial. And what's happening here in this story is actually happening at the exact same time as Jesus is on trial. If you remember from last week, back at the beginning of our text, we're actually told that Peter was looking on as Jesus was on trial. So what Matthew's doing here is like, we actually haven't moved forward. This is why it takes us 120 weeks to get through. Plus, I like to talk. But, um, but, but, but like we've kind of paused here. Jesus is still on trial. And so I want you just to imagine that that's all happening. Everything we talked about last week, this mock trial that Jesus was put through is actually happening And what we're about to read in Peter's story is happening at the same time. And he's out in the courtyard of Caiaphas' house looking on while Jesus is on trial. So Peter was sitting out in the courtyard. And here's what happened, second half of verse 69. And a servant girl, okay, now a servant girl, really this is like a junior high gal that has very little status within the community. Again, this is probably, we don't know the exact time, but this is, Three o'clock, four o'clock in the morning, okay? We're in the wee hours here. So anybody who's up at this hour is up to no good, right? Like nothing good, so I tell my kids, nothing good happens after 10 o'clock. Go to bed at 10 o'clock, bad things happen after 10 o'clock, right? And all the parents said amen. All the dads and daughters said amen, okay? So nothing good happens after 10. So anybody who's up at this point is up to no good. So this girl, four in the morning, what are you doing? Where's your dad? Don't you have a dad? Why are you wearing that? You need to go home. You need to find a father, Okay, so she's up here, and she comes to Peter. Look at what she says. You were also, uh, you were also, oh, sorry, you also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said. So Peter has this confrontation, although it's not, it's not a significant conversa- uh, confrontation. What's going to happen here is he's going to have three opportunities where someone's going to come to him and, and allow him, give him the ability to identify with Christ, and all three times he's going to say no, but there's kind of this progression that occurs, okay? So, so really what she's doing here, she's not coming hard after, G, uh, after Peter. She's simply saying, like, hey, hey, aren't you, don't, don't you know, don't you know that guy? Don't you know that guy that's on trial over there? Look at what he says. But he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Now, now, this isn't an outright denial. We're going we're gonna to see an outright denial from Peter in just a few verses. But, but what Peter's doing here is he's distancing himself from Jesus. He's like, I'm, I'm not really sure what you're talking about. Right? Like if you have small children and uh, you're in the kitchen and they're in the living room, not really small children, any children, and the dishes need to get done and you call them to do the dishes, that, you know, like the selective hearing thing that kids do sometimes, like, where you, we got some nods over here, right? You call them to do something, and they're like, oh, I, you call them three times. Then you go in there, and you get them, and you bring them. You, Why didn't you, I didn't hear you, right? But if they're in the basement with loud music playing, and you open the freezer and open a box of ice cream, a container of ice cream, they all come running. Somehow they know. How is this? We're not sure. It's a mystery of the Lord is what it is. But this is essentially what's happening here. Peter, Peter's kind of like selective hearing. Like, I, I don't really, I'm, I'm just going to kind of avoid the question altogether. Okay, but, but notice what's happening here. Peter is being asked to identify himself with Jesus, and he's refusing to do it. Now, if you go back a few verses, and in the timeline of the story, this is about 14 hours. Go back to verse 31. We preached on this a few weeks ago. I think it was before Christmas. But look at what Matthew records, verse 31. And Jesus told them, being the disciples, this is, uh, this is before he goes to the garden. This is right after the Last Supper. This, is, this very night you will all fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. You can go back and listen to 
all that Jesus uh, means by these words in the sermon we preach. Verse 32, but after I have risen, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. Verse 33, listen to what Peter says. Even if all fall away on account of you, what's he say? I never will. I'll never fall away, Jesus. It doesn't matter what they do to me. doesn't matter who comes at me. I'm never going to fall away. You fast forward to verse, verse 69. You got a servant girl, right? A junior high gal coming to Jesus saying, identify with him. And he's like, oh, I'm not sure what you're talking about. You, you must have me mistaken for somebody else. Jesus responds, verse 34, truly I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Verse 35, but Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. I want you to just see what's happening here. Jesus predicted 14 hours before this occurred that Peter would deny him. He knew. Jesus knew that Peter was going to fail him. Friends, there's this, there's this reality that we, we have to grapple with when it comes to the grace of God. And it's, we talk about the grace of God being like a scandal. Scandal being like, this is shocking. Like, I can't believe God would actually do this. Jesus is aware that all of his disciples are going to desert him as he is going to the cross to die for them. It's amazing. The reality is Jesus, he knows that you're going to fail him. He, he knows that I'm going to fail him. He's, he's aware of this reality that every single person is at some point, in some way, shape, or form, going to fail him. And yet he still goes to the cross for them. It's beautiful. And, and some of us might, uh, might, might live under this illusion that, that we wouldn't do what Peter's doing here, right? Like, I think if we were just to, like, truth serum time, take a test, if I was like, hey, you're a, are you a sinner, right? Nobody, anybody with two feet in a heartbeat is going to say, yes, of course, there's times where I sin, there's times where I fail, there's times where I don't do what I'm supposed to do, right? Like, we would all get that, but when, but when we're talking about, like, face-to-face, -face, like, outright denial of Jesus, I would never do that. Yes, you would. Peter said, I would never disown you. I will follow you to the very end, to the, to the death, Jesus. And yet he failed. When confronted with a junior high girl, by a junior high girl, he failed. And then the story goes on. I mean, look at what, look at what happens next. Uh, verse 71, then he went out to the gateway. So he's trying to get away from, from this accusation where another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, so now she's not talking directly to Peter. This, this kind of stakes are getting raised a little bit. There's a crowd, there's a group of people out there. We don't know how big this crowd is. But she actually now, she starts talking to the crowd. So she says to the crowd, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. In verse 72, Peter says, I don't know the man. I don't know him. Notice what he calls him. Notice how he references Jesus, the man, that guy. I'm not sure who you're talking about. This is the same Peter who in Matthew chapter 16 
declared Jesus to be the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God. He was the first one to, to actually grasp and, and declare in Matthew's gospel who Jesus actually is. And here, when faced with an opportunity to take a stand for Jesus, what does he do? He just distances himself even further. He says, I don't know who this guy is. I'm not sure. Jesus? I don't know if I've heard. I don't know. No, I don't think I've seen that guy before. I'm not on his team. Stakes get even higher. Look at what happens next. Verse 74, or sorry, 73. After a while, those standing there, so that crowd, they went up to Peter and they said, surely you are one of them. Your accent gives it away. So Jesus had done most of his ministry in the region of Galilee. The people in the region of Galilee had a particular accent. The disciples that Jesus called were also from Galilee. So Peter shared the same accent that Jesus shared. So his cover's starting to be blown. Okay, the crowd's pressing in on him. The stakes are getting a little bit higher. He's probably like sweating and like looking for, you know, an escape route, like trying to get away but not make it too obvious, that kind of a thing, right? Look at, look at what he says. Verse 74, then he began to call down curses and he swore to them, I don't know the man. So when Matthew here describes Peter as calling down curses, uses an interesting word. Uh, we could also translate that Greek word that he uses there as, as the word anathema, that we get our word anathema from. It's this vehement opposition. And the question is, who is he calling curses down on? Well, actually, this is interesting. According to the, the, the Greek text, the curse is actually being called down on Jesus. He's declaring his own vehement opposition, not to the crowds. He's not cursing himself. He's cursing Christ. If up to this point, Peter has been trying to distance himself from Jesus, here in verse 74, what we have is Peter denouncing him. Verse 31, 32, 33, 34, 35. Jesus, I'd never fail you. I'd never turn my back on you. I'll, I'll fight to the death for you. He even tried that in the garden, right? He pulls out the sword as the guards are coming to arrest Jesus. Jesus is like, no, no, no. You're going to fail me three times before the rooster crows. And Peter's like, no, I won't. And Jesus like, yeah, you are. Here we are. Jesus knew that Peter was going to fail him. Friends, Jesus knows that we are going to fail him. Friends, Jesus knows that you are going to fail him. Jesus knows that I am going to fail him. And if we are, if we, if we are honest... And just take a sobering look at our own lives. The reality is we are all, in some way, we have all failed Jesus. It, it is easy, and, and this is the danger. 
This is the danger that we face. And this is, in my opinion, this is why Matthew includes stories like these in his Gospels. This is why the Scriptures are written the way the Scriptures are written. They're written in such a way as to keep us humble, to not think that we somehow on our own, in our own strength, and in our own flesh can please God. See, the, the dominant worldview when it comes to the way that human beings interact with God is this. If we can just be religious enough, if we can just be good enough, if we can just serve enough, if we can just be faithful enough, if we can just do the right things, then we can indebt God to us because we did the right things. I'm a good person. I tried really hard. I held the door. I, I opened the door for old, an old lady at the mall. I'm a good person. I'm a nice neighbor. And because of that, God looks at me and he smiles with great delight. He's just so pleased and happy with me. And he loves to have me on his team. Uh, one of our elders here, Matt Parker, uh, he has this line that I just, I steal and use as much as I can because it's so good. He says, the best lies are 99% true. There's a little bit of truth to that, right? There's a little bit of truth to the reality that God loves you, that you, there is a uniqueness to us and that we are made in the image and likeness of God. But the problem with that lie is there's a, there, there, there's a huge omission there. If anyone thinks that they can do enough, strive enough, work hard enough to somehow please God, they are missing this giant piece of the gospel. And that is that we are broken. That in the same way that Peter fails Jesus, we fail Jesus. And if you take that part of the gospel out, here's what it does. It produces within you, produces within any society or any culture, this religious spirit, this religious overtone where we think if we can just follow the rules, that we can earn our righteousness. You see this woven all throughout our culture. I mean, right now, I mean, this is just too easy right now. Right? Well, how many people did you have over for Christmas? I had 11. You broke the rules. This is all your fault. Right? We have people that are, are, are living paralyzed with fear, filled with anxiety, worried about being shamed publicly for what they do or don't do or who they choose to hang out with or don't hang out with or whether they did what they were supposed to do or not supposed to do. And, and I'm not here making claims. Okay? I'm like, don't, don't, don't take any of this as medical advice or pandemic advice. I'm just talking about the spirit behind all of this. And what I'm saying is this. When we live like that, we are, we are not living in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that can seep so quickly even into our churches and even into our own lives where we think that somehow we in and of ourselves without the help of God, without the grace of God, without the mercy of God, we can save ourselves. I'm a good person. I'm a good person. No, you're Peter. You're Peter. In this room, this is a room full of Peters. This is a room full of people who have failed. God, this is a room full of failed marriages, failed parents, failed friends, porn addictions, 
alcohol addictions. Right on the surface, like we, we, we know how we know we know how to how to kind of like make it look good from the outside. How you doing? I'm doing good, and I don't even have to fake smile anymore because I got a mask on. But like friends, like seriously, don't waste this moment here, okay? Stop for a second. Look at your life. You, as the Apostle Paul calls, you sober judgment about your life. Be honest. What did you look at this week? What did you think about this week? See, part of the problem is we don't think that that stuff necessarily has anything to do with Jesus. We don't, how's that a denial of Jesus? Friends, when we sin, we sin against Christ. That's who we sin against first. It's against Jesus. And so all of our sin, all of our shame, all of our brokenness, all of that, that is exactly what we are talking about when we talk about this reality that, that we will fail Christ. He's been so good to us. He's given us so much. And yet at the very core, we fail. We fail Jesus. Let's pray. Let's just end the sermon there. I'm kidding. That's terrible. That's terrible. We're not going to stop there. Whew. Glad I got up today. Friggin' idiot preacher. Verse 74, second half of this passage here. Gosh. Here's what Matthew writes. So Peter denies a third time immediately, immediately after a rooster crowed. Verse 75, then Peter remembered. Imagine what that would have been like, hey? Jesus, I'll never, I'll never deny you. Fight to the death. The rooster crows, then Peter remembered. Actually, interestingly enough, in Luke's gospel, recording this exact same instance, he, he puts in there that Peter looked up and he saw Jesus. Rooster crows, Peter remembers. He looks up at Christ, who's being spat upon and mocked and beaten by the religious leaders, and their eyes lock. Imagine what that felt like. He remembered the words that Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside. And he wept bitterly. What happened in that moment? Here's Peter, right? He's, he's like one of Jesus' most beloved disciples. He's in the, the, the most intimate circle of Christ, the first one to declare him the Messiah. He, he watched Jesus preach and teach and heal and raise the dead and forgive sin. And here he is denying him. And in that moment, as his eyes locked with Jesus's and the rooster crows and this is all unfolding... What happens? He weeps bitterly. He's confronted with the reality of the depth of his brokenness, friends. The Apostle Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians, he says that godly sorrow leads to repentance. See, sometimes we feel bad about our sin, but we don't actually repent of it. We feel bad because we got caught. 
We feel bad because we hurt people. We feel bad because of the consequences. That's not repentance. That's still all about you. Repentance is all about Jesus. Repentance is when you are faced with the reality of your sin and you realize, you realize in that moment that first you have sinned against Christ. You, like Peter, have denied Christ. And you want everything in your bones and in your being to make it right. So when Peter weeps bitterly, he's exuding repentance. He's exhibiting repentance. He's showing us what true repentance looks like. If you fast forward, come back next week, Judas, also faced with the reality of his sin, ends up committing suicide over it. That's not repentance. And what's interesting is this, and I don't know what to make of this, but this is the last time that the name of Peter is in the Gospel of Matthew. Maybe Matthew and Peter didn't get along or something, I'm not sure. We assume he's in chapter 28, post-resurrection, when Jesus commissions his disciples to go, but his name is not mentioned again. denies Christ he fails Jesus it's kind of bleak isn't it it's kind of dark pardon my French but I'm kind of feeling crappy right now that's because up to this point we've talked about our sin, and ourselves. We haven't talked a lot about Jesus. What, ha- what happens after this? Jesus is denied by Peter. Then what happens? He goes to the cross. And on the cross, what, is, what does Jesus do? He dies. Who does he die for? He dies for failure. So, so Peter denies Jesus, walks away from Jesus, but Jesus doesn't deny Peter, right? Jesus goes to the cross, dies in Peter's place for his sin. He takes the cross that Peter deserved, right? He goes to the cross and he, he, he forgives sin. He cries out from the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And then what happens after the cross? Jesus is raised to new life, right? Death has been defeated. Jesus is alive. He, he proves to Peter, to the disciples, to us, to everyone, he is who he said he was. And in John's gospel, if you have your Bibles, Go over to John's Gospel, John chapter 21, at the very end of John's Gospel. There is this short account where Jesus meets with his disciples. Now, keep in mind, it wasn't just Peter who failed and denied Jesus, right? It was all the disciples. They all deserted, they all deserted Jesus. And look at what John records in John chapter 21, picking up in verse 1. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. And it happened this way. Verse 2, Simon Peter, there's Peter. Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples, they were together. Verse 3, I'm going to go, uh, I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So at this point, right, they've all deserted Jesus. They've gone back to their hometown they're not sure what to do anymore. What have they done? They've gone back to the work that they had before. Like they, they just assume the whole thing's over. 
Well, that was a fun three years. Let's go back to work. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Verse 4, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. And he called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat. You'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the number of fish, because of the large number of fish. Does this sound familiar? Right? This happened to the disciples before. What were they doing when Jesus first called them to come follow him? What were they doing? They were fishing. Come follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. Right? This isn't a coincidence, right? It's not like Jesus is like, oh, I'm surprised they're fishing. Right? This is his grace. He's reminding them, this is good. This is good. Verse 7, look at this. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John. When you write your own gospel, you can say that about yourself. <laughs> said to Peter, it is the Lord. Now look at this. Second half of verse 7, look at this. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, what does he do? He wraps his outer garment around him, around John, for he had taken it off and he jumped into the water. So he takes off his outer garment and he jumps in the water. Why? Because he realizes it's Jesus. He's still weeping bitterly over his brokenness and everything in him wants to get to Christ. He wants to get to Jesus. He wants to see Jesus. He wants to hug Jesus. He wants to hold Jesus. He wants to make his sin right. That is repentance. Verse 8, the other disciples followed in the boat towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about 100 yards. Verse 9, when they landed, they saw a, fire, uh, saw a fire burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat. He dragged the net ashore. It was full of fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came and took bread and gave it to them. And he did the same with the fish. Isn't that kind of Jesus? Right? All these guys just ditched him. His greatest hour of need. They all ditched him. What's he do? I'm going to take you out for breakfast. This was now the what? The third time. It's the third time that Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Verse 15, Jesus and Peter, they got some unfinished business, don't they? When they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. You notice what Jesus doesn't say, right? And say, hey, Peter, why'd you deny me? Doesn't say that. You know, there's this beautiful reality. When Jesus goes to the cross, what's he say on the cross? He says, it's finished, right? That means he doesn't take your sin and hold it in your face any longer. Some of you hold your sin, like you hold it in your face. You allow Satan to hold it in your face. Jesus doesn't do that. That's not the gospel. That's not the reality of the goodness and grace of Jesus. He doesn't come to Peter and say, hey, Peter, you sucked. Why'd you fail me? He says, do you love me? Peter says, yeah, 
Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Verse 16, again, Jesus said, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Verse 17, he said a third time. How many times? A third time. Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was hurt. (laughs) Still doesn't quite get it. Because Jesus asked him a third time. He was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time. How many times did Peter deny Jesus again, church? Three times. Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Three times, Peter denies Jesus. Three times, Jesus asks Peter, not why did you screw up, but do you love me? Gives him an opportunity to declare his love for Jesus. Not once, right? Not twice, not four times, not 25 times, three times. Three. Why? Why like this? Why on a boat? Why appear three times? Why ask Peter three times? What's what's Jesus saying to us? What's he saying to his disciples? What's he saying to us? It doesn't matter how much you sin or how much you fail or how far you go. There is exactly enough grace for you. You, church, listen to me. Some of you need to hear this. You cannot outfail. You cannot outsin the grace of God. And the more you try and run, and the farther into your own self and sin you go, the farther Jesus will come to get you. Friends, if Peter, Jesus' closest disciple, denies him, I promise you will deny him. But if Jesus in that moment did not turn Peter away, but rather brings him in, I promise if you come to him today, he will do the same with you. Here's where I want to end. What does, what does Jesus ask Peter to do? Feed my sheep, feed my lambs, right? What's he talking about? He's talking about the church. He's like, Peter, I want you to feed my people. You fast forward just a few days in the life of Peter. Jesus leaves, the Holy Spirit comes. Who preaches the first sermon that kicks off the church? It's Peter. And what does he preach about, right? He doesn't get up and say, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you some tips on how to not fail Jesus because I'm a pro at that. Nope, 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 nope. Now what he preaches about, what does he preach about? He preaches the gospel. He preaches about the scandalous love and grace of Jesus. Now, I was thinking about this as I was preparing and just think about this with me for a second, okay? 
roughly 30-ish days prior to preaching that sermon, he denied Jesus. And just a, a few days after denying Jesus, he has this moment on the shore where Jesus says, it's all good, you are forgiven. So when Peter stands up to preach about the scandal of the cross, the grace of Jesus, the love of Jesus, the mercy of Jesus, do you think he had a little pep in his step? Do you think he had a little passion in his voice, a little Holy Spirit unction? Why? Because he just experienced it. Some of us think that because we have failed Jesus, that he's done with us. Some of us think that because we fail Jesus, we're not even saved anymore. We're not even a Christian. Friends, Jesus is not done with you. He's not done with me. If he wasn't done with Peter, he's not done with you. And is it, is it possible that in God's economy, and I do not understand how this math works, that it is your sin and your denial of Jesus, that he is going to redeem and use to help you experience the grace of God in a way that you've never experienced it before, to fill your heart with so much joy and love and delight and passion for the gospel of Jesus that you just have to tell somebody about it. And the only thing that is holding you back, it's not your sin. that you won't repent and come to Jesus. It's that you're bound up in lies. In the invitation of the gospel, I mean, just think about this. Where did Peter's life go? We don't know this from the scriptures, but we know this from, from history, from church history. Peter goes on to preach, plant churches, right? And then uh, the church is under intense persecution. The religious leaders bring Peter out. And church history tells us, they, they ask him again, will you deny Jesus? And this time he says no. And they say, okay, we're going to kill you. And he's like, that's okay. I will die. And so we're going to crucify you just like your Lord. He said, I don't want to be crucified like my Lord. And they crucified him upside down because Peter said, I'm unworthy to die in the same way that Jesus died. And he died. He went, he was willing to go to his death. Because he knew about the grace of God. He was willing to give his life to serve Jesus because he knew about the grace of God. Now, let me ask you a question. When he closed his eyes that last time, upside down on the cross, and he opened up his eyes, what did he see? He saw Jesus. Same Jesus he was looking at as he was denying him. He saw Jesus. Friends, your sin is forgiven. Jesus took care of it. It is finished. He wants to receive you. He wants to redeem you. He wants to restore you. And he wants to put you to work so others can know about how good he is so that one day you close your eyes in death, you'll open them up. You'll see Jesus. 
see him. It's good news. It's good news, amen? We pray, Lord Jesus, we thank you that you love us. Your grace is sufficient for us. We, don't, we say that, but we don't believe it. Fill us right now with the overwhelming sense of your grace and mercy, we pray. In Jesus' name. And all God's children said.